Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Terry. Um, like Pastor James said about himself, I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome out to Reach Life Church again. Uh, if you've been with us for the past several weeks, we have been in the book of Romans. We're going to be in there again today. Uh, we'll be picking up in the second half of chapter 6, where we left off a couple of weeks ago before last week when we uh, celebrated our six-year anniversary. Um, it's going to take us a while to get there, though. Uh, but today we're going to be talking about the idea, the question of, what is true freedom? And hopefully if you had, um, if you got a, did you get one of these? Everybody get one of these a weekly? There'll be, a, like Pastor James said, there'll be a place to take notes there on the back. Um, again, the question is, what is true freedom? Well, freedom is something that we all want, right? If we weren't humans, we'd, we would still want it because we're Americans, right? We, uh, we would want freedom, but to attain true freedom, we first need to define what freedom is. And um, to kind of put us in the right frame of mind for this week, I want us to build off of what we talked about last week where we celebrated our six-year anniversary. And you'll see on your weekly there, it's got what we are about as a church. And um, me, as, I as one of your pastors, misquoted our mission statement, on, <laughs> which is pretty awesome. Um, instead of uh, reaching life, it should say um, changing life. But essentially... We are all about as a church changing life. That is finding real life. That is life with God for his grace through faith in Jesus' atonement for our sin and who seeks to follow Jesus as not only Savior, but Lord in such a way as to yield our will to his. Okay, now we've, remember that the topic for today is what is true freedom? But when I told you that we are all about making disciples, and look at that last phrase, yield our will <laughs> to his. Um, that word yield is going to come up five times in our short little passage today. Um, the Apostle Paul is making a, a great emphasis on it. And I, wanted, I, want, I want you to consider for yourself, how does that phrase sit with you? Yield your will. How does, that, how does that feel? It certainly may not feel free, right? We may bristle at that a little bit. We may bristle at that a lot. It may have the, if, you know, if you're a dog, have the fur on, the back, on your back stand up just a little bit. You may bristle at that idea. Because this is the exact opposite of not what only, only our sort of uh, present culture feels, but it's against human nature to yield our will. Um, Yes, that's, that's yield, right? Exactly. This reminds me uh, of the song uh, Believer by Imagine Dragons. Now, you may not like Imagine Dragons, uh, and for good reason. They're, 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 they're the, um, the modern-day Nickelback, right? Is, is, however, their song um, Believer says, listen to this line. Don't you tell me what you think I could be. I'm the one at the sale. I'm the master of my sea, the master of my sea. So here's a guy. I, I looked, at, looked into the song a little bit, and he said that he wrote the song 
because he looked at the pain in his life, the mistakes that he had made, the hardships he had gone through, and he decided that the best way to wrestle with and, and overcome the hardship in his life was by taking responsibility and taking the reins of his own life and making things better shaped according to how he wanted them to be. Um, truthfully, that's in some ways to be applauded. Okay, because a lot of people don't want to take responsibility for their lives, right? So it's kind of a, a, a good impulse to not grow bitter or downtrodden or feel defeated by what's happened to you uh, in the past or present, but to say, you know what? I'm, I'm going I'm to take the reins of these things instead of wallowing or sinking further into them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use them as sort of a, a, a catapult to move me forward in life. In some ways, that's to be applauded. Uh, in some ways, I would say it's lacking too much today. But in some ways, it's also too prevalent today. And here's, here's why. Even though this might be well-intentioned, it's asking the right questions, but seeking the answers in the wrong place. Um, what, one thing I want us to see in our passage today is the true solution to the human problem here that's, that's being presented. This is a very simple statement, and it's not in your uh, handout, but there's a profound truth that is going to seem like, well, duh, when you first hear it. It's going to be like, of course. But I want you to write it down, even though it's not in your outline. If you're a note taker, I, I would encourage you to write it down. And that is that the key to life itself is being a disciple of Jesus. You're like, okay, we know that. We hear that. We hear that every week. But we're going to kind of, kind of flesh that out and put, put muscle on the, on the bones of that. And again, I told you it's going to be a while before we get to our passage, so hang in with me. But to set the, the, the stage for our passage further from Paul, I wanted us to hear from Jesus first. Right? I want us to hear the words of Jesus about what this looks like. And what Jesus says is maybe shocking to you. Jesus is... If you were with us during the, our study of John, we find that Jesus says some shocking things quite a bit. So um, I want you to listen to how Jesus himself describes discipleship. There's a famous passage known as the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus is giving final instructions to his disciples before going back to be with the Father. And Jesus says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Listen to this in verse 20. Teaching them to observe, your translation may say obey, right? Or keep all that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you always. Okay, just make a mental note, all right? So of course the end goal of discipleship is a relationship with Jesus, but something to keep in mind is that a relationship with Jesus takes the shape of obedience to Jesus, a yielding to Jesus. Now, again, in our present culture where we decide who we are, decide sometimes what we are, we um, set our own course, so to speak, this, this idea of, of yielding, of obedience may sound oppressive, but that is the opposite of, of the case. I want you to see what I mean by Jesus's words in John chapter 8, where Jesus says to the Jews who had uh, believed in him, if you abide in my word, in other words, keep my commandments, if you abide in my word, 
you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. And then the famous line, and the truth will set you free. You see that word free, but do you also see what comes before it? If you abide in my word, if you <laughs> obey what I say, Jesus says, you will see the truth, know the truth, and that truth will set you free. So in other words, Jesus is saying that real freedom Freedom that is found in how we're truly meant to live is in a loving, joyful, obedient relationship with Jesus as Jesus being the real master. So it reminds me of a quote from uh, Pastor Sam Alberry who says, God knows you better than you do. He loves you more than you do. God's more committed to your joy than you are. Trust Him, right? Trust Him. That said, I want us to see the life that's available when we walk with Jesus as sort of the master of, of our sea, so to speak. Um, what does that look like? What are the benefits of living with and for Jesus this way? Let's pick up in Matthew, or Matthew, uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 12. And Paul's going to give kind of like a reminder of where we've been week before last, and then we'll see where we're going. He says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law, but under grace. You know, we'll stop there for now. As I was preparing this week, I read somewhere where somebody said, you know, the Lord may ask some of us to die for him but he will ask all of us to live for him, right? And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. That, that's really true, isn't it? Jesus asks all of us to live, not for ourselves, but for him. Well, why, why is that difficult to do? Why don't we do that? I think for two reasons. A, um, we don't understand that Jesus deserves it. <laughs> he really does deserve for us to live for him. And B, we don't understand that it's actually to our great benefit if we don't live for ourselves, but live for Jesus. Now I want us to notice something that's really important by looking at, you'll see in your outline there, how we yield to Jesus. How do we yield? It's, it's at the very bottom there, but there's going to be a lot packed in there. I want you to notice that key word, let, in verse 12. Just one word. Begins verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. What does that word mean? It indicates that this is an act of your will. You can let or not let something, can you not? Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. This is a, it's based on the knowledge of what we know about Jesus has done for us. We bow the will. We, we yield, right? This is not an impulsive decision made in the moment, some stirring of our feelings or emotions. This is an intentional decision of surrender to Jesus instead of ourselves. And that's not only a once and for all thing. Yes, I, okay, I'm surrendering to Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but it's also an in-the-moment thing, right? That once and for all thing shapes and gives power to the in-the-moment of how we live. Um, and just in case there's any confusion. I, I, I don't want you to get the impression that I'm saying that someone who is yielded to, to Jesus won't sin. In fact, uh, the, the book of 1 John tells us that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, right? 
I'm not saying that, that Christians are, are perfect. Um, if you meet a perfect Christian, they are a liar or deceived. So they're not perfect, right? Um, so it's not that we, that we won't sin. Uh, it's important that we notice the, the tense. This, this will go back to, to grammar for those of you that hate uh, grammar in school and stuff like that. To the tenses of these verbs. In Greek grammar, I want to give you a, what could be a literal translation of these verses so we, so we can understand. It could be rendered like, do not allow sin to reign in your mortal body in an ongoing way so that you keep on obeying its lusts. Neither keep on yielding your member, the members of your body as instruments or weapons of unrighteousness to sin, but once and for all yield yourselves to God. You see the two tenses. You got the in the moment thing, right? Not don't do, don't do this in an ongoing way. Don't keep on obeying the lust of your flesh. Don't keep on yielding your members as instruments of unrighteousness. But once and for all, yield yourselves to God. It's, it's both and. It's a both once and for all and an in the moment. Right? You may uh, be reminded of Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where there's this yielding. I appeal to you, he says, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living Sacrifice. So we once and for all present our bodies, but it's a living thing. It's also an in-the-moment thing, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Um, again, it doesn't mean that we won't sin, that we won't have further steps of yielding. How many of you have been walking with Jesus for a while, and you realize that the longer you walk with Him, the more He kind of opens up your heart so you can see it, and there's a little more in there that needs to be cleared out. Right? We see that no matter how long. And that's God's grace to us. There's a, there's a process of yielding, and it's a progressive sort of thing. We will have to daily, once and for all yield to Jesus, but also daily surrender and yield to Jesus, especially when we come to moments of temptation. It's an in-the-moment in situation. But what Paul is saying is that in-the-moment surrender can only happen, and it is based on the once-and-for-all surrender. To Jesus. So here's what I want you to consider today, just in this first little section. Have you, will you, once and for all, surrender your life to Jesus, the one who made you? Have you done that? Will you do that if not? Because that's where the power to live really starts. That's where it really starts. The Bible says that um, that's even where uh, wisdom starts, is fearing the Lord. Um, so we can't really experience life to the full as God intends it, as God designed us to, to be fully human once that once and for all thing is in place. Let's continue in verse 13. Paul says, do not present, if you're, if you're I don't know if, who underlines in their Bibles, but you may want to underline that word. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Again, Paul is saying that this is a willful thing. It is presenting ourselves. When we present ourselves to something, we're literally giving ourselves to that thing. You're giving yourself away to that thing. He says, um, and notice he's talking about presenting the members of our bodies. Paul is literally talking about body parts. Right here. Now, this is where rubber meets the road, right? This is, this is tough real life stuff right here. Paul is saying what we choose to look at with our eyes, what we hear with our ears, what we choose to do with our bodies sexually, whether we are slothful or willing to work with our hands and our brains, 
We literally give ourselves to those things. And Paul is just saying that we should give ourselves to God. Right? That's where our, our presenting ourselves should be. As Bob Dylan once wisely said, you've got to serve something. Right? You've got to serve something. We will indeed serve God or we will indeed serve ourselves. I, um, Kyle Hood, one of our members, had a, a Facebook post this week, and I posted it on my page, and there's a, an atheistic, uh, agnostic friend of mine that replied under there, and there was a long conversation. But he came and said, well, I don't worship anything. I said, oh, yeah, you do. Well, like we all have something or someone or some set of principles or whatever that we yield our will to, don't we? Don't we all choose to follow something? Now, maybe that something is ourselves. If so, we are worshiping our, we've set ourselves up as our own king in place of the real king. And so instead of worshiping him, we worship ourselves, but we're still worshiping, right? You've got to serve something. And, and here, this is what Paul's saying. Present your members, not as things for sinfulness, but present yourselves to God. Um, that term instruments there where it says present your members to sin as instruments can also be translated as weapons. In other words, our bodies can be used to produce unrighteousness. How many of you know that if you like dip your toe into a sin, like it's like quicksand, it like drags you in there, right? And it begins to, once you, once you let a little bit of sin in here, it produces more sin. It becomes easier to sin, doesn't it? Is it just me? Isn't that how it works? There's a little seed of sin and that thing grows. It's not like flowers. It's like a weed. It's like kudzu, right? Our bodies can produce unrighteousness. Our, a little bit of sin produces more sin. Um, and it, it will consume us. And we will not only consume um, us, but it will consume our neighbors. We will harm ourselves, harm our souls with our bodies, Again, I know this is not just me. I know that others in here have harmed your souls with your bodies. I know that you've harmed others in, this, in the same way because I have. So Paul's saying, don't let your bodies be used by the enemy against yourself and against your neighbor. Rather, let them be used by God for your benefit and to love your neighbor really, really well. This is what Paul is saying. He says that this can only be done consistently, again, if that once and for all Commitment, that yielding to Jesus is in place. Well, um, the Bible tells us a lot about people who yielded their bodies um, for the fulfilling of God's purposes. Right? Think about Moses' staff right, in, in the book of Exodus that, that we study. Here's Moses saying, yield, God, I'm yielding my hand to you. Right? God used, it's just a hand. It's just a regular hand, right? But in the metaphorical hand of God, it's a different thing, right? It's a different thing. Moses yielded himself. Um, think about David's hand with the sling as a little kid. It's just a little kid. It's just a hand. But again, in the metaphorical hand of God, it's a different thing. Um, God Think about the prophets in the Old Testament. God used their mouths and their tongues. Just mouths, just tongues. But again, used by God to produce righteousness. Uh, beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news, right? Think about the Apostle Paul and all his missionary journeys. We see that um, Paul says, you know what, God? Uh, and this is a metaphor, but take my feet. Paul is saying, take, my, take all of me, right? But I will go, Lord, where you tell me to go. 
right? That's yielding the members of his body, literally for righteousness. But we also see in the Bible accounts where people yielded the members of their body uh, for sinful purposes. Again, think about David. Those of you who know the history of David, his eyes looked at his neighbor's wife, didn't they? He plotted a wicked scheme in his mind. His hand signed an order to send the wife of that, or the husband of that wife to the front line so he could be killed so David could have his wife. He's, he's yielding like all the members of his body. If you, if you read Psalm 51, David mentions his eyes, his mind, his ears, his heart, his lips, his mouth, everything was involved in this situation. Um, now, just uh, to clear up something, in case you're wondering it, Christians don't believe that your body's evil. Okay, That's not what Paul is saying. Um, he's saying quite the contrary, that our bodies are holy. They're not evil, they're holy. That's, that's the point here. Just as our souls are holy to God, our bodies are sacred to God. That, that's the point. Uh, in fact, God's view is that there is no such thing as a separation of what's sacred and what's secular. Do you think you guys realize that everything is sacred to God? You may have, this may have never occurred to you, but do you know that God has an opinion about literally everything? Have you ever thought about that? He has an opinion about everything because he's the creator of all things, right? So they, he owns all things. So he has an opinion about everything. He's designed everything in a specific way for a specific purpose that is for his glory and for our good and the good of those around us. So Paul's saying yield ourselves fully to the way God has designed life to be, and you will then have life to the full. You, it will be deeper and richer and more fulfilling and freer than the life you could have ever designed for yourself. It was as it was meant to be. In other words, you can begin tasting heaven right here and right now. I want us to look, um, as, as we kind of come to the, the back half here, see three reasons that close out the chapter of why we yield to Jesus. You say, okay, Terry, I know, I know, I'm supposed to yield, I'm supposed to yield, I'm supposed to yield. Well, there might be something in us to say, what's in it for me? I want to show you, right? I want to show you what's in it for us. And we don't have to spend a lot of time on this first part, but I want to look at verse 14. It says, for sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means, right? So, the first thing, if you're taking notes, I want you to see in that, those two little verses there that we yield to Jesus because it gives us favor with God. Favor with God. Again, we don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but you may remember back in uh, chapter 6, verse 1, where Pastor James said, pointed out that Paul says, Some people were saying, What shall we say then? Are we to continue sinning that grace could abound more? Paul says there again, By no means. There were some people who thought, Man, uh, since God has given us grace, if we sin more, that makes grace bigger, right? And Paul's like, you idiot, <laughs> right? No, don't, don't, don't do that. Paul's probably wouldn't say you idiot. That's probably me. He's more dignified than I am. Uh, but he says, by no means. So here, Paul's not repeating himself. He's addressing something that I think is probably hitting more closely to home to us. Most of us wouldn't say, well, I should sin more to make grace abound more. Most of us, some of us might say, well, since I'm not under the Old Testament law anymore, I mean, really, I can live however I want as long as I love Jesus. I have great feelings for Jesus. I'm appreciative of Jesus. Jesus paid it all. And we forget about the all to him I owe part. We say Jesus paid it all and let's go, right? Uh, freedom. Well, 
That's not what freedom in, in Christ looks like. Again, Paul would say, by no means. Right? If that's our attitude, Paul says, we're missing, we're missing what grace is. Grace is not a license to live as we want. It's the power to live as we should. Right? Grace is not the, pa- the license to live as we want, but the power to live as we should. Um, and, and I would add, it's because of God's grace that we even can yield to Him. Right? Uh, we're going to unpack that in, in just a little bit. But He empowers us to o- uh, obey Him. And as Jesus would say, abide in Him. Um, be reminded of James chapter 4. He says, But He gives more, He, God, gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit, that's a yield, yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And so when we yield, it's so that we can abide. We can stay in his word. We can keep his commandments by yielding, not by our own effort. We just, we wave the white flag, right? And Jesus empowers us to abide. And Jesus would say that therefore we prove to be his disciples. So that's the first reason we yield. It puts us in favor with God uh, based on Jesus' merit in our place. I can't think of a a better thing to yield to other than God or a better reason to yield that us rebels can be placed in the family of God. That's an incredible thing. Um, Secondly, we yield to God to find freedom in Christ. This answers our question for today. This is what real freedom is going to look like. So if you've checked out, the, the heat's feeling warm, you're tired, Pay, wake up now and, the, and, and, and check in with me. Um, pick up in verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Now listen, we need to get a hold of this passage. Either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now, let's not get sidetracked by Paul's reference to, to slavery here. We need to have the right historical context of what's taking place. This is not the early Americas. This is ancient Rome. And historians estimate that as much as 90, get this, as much as 90% of the uh, population of the city of Rome at the time was comprised of slaves. They were either um, war slaves, like they were taken captives and forced into that, but most of them were a specific kind of slave that Paul is talking about here, and that is a voluntary slavery. This is where people offered themselves um, to either gain food or housing or to pay off debt, that sort of thing. And so Paul is saying that, that we, like them, present ourselves to slaves as one thing or another. We voluntarily give ourselves to one thing or another. Paul is saying we can be slaves to sin or we can present ourselves as slaves to Christ. Again, this does not sound like freedom, does it? You want to be free? Make yourself a slave. It does not sound like freedom in our minds, but keep pressing with me here. Um, When you give yourself away, when you present yourself as a slave to something, you give up your will to that thing, to the master. Whatever that master thing is, you're giving up your will. So hopefully the, the illustration of master and slave is beginning to make sense here. As I told my friend on Facebook, Whatever you yield yourself to is your master. Now begin processing your life right now. Whatever you yield yourself to is your master. 
okay? Um, before a person yields their life to Jesus, they may think they're free, right? I don't have, you know, Christianity is about a bunch of rules. Don't do this. You got to do that. And, um, you know, there's all these commandments and, and Jesus is like preaching all the time. And I don't have to worry about all that. I can do what I want. I'm free. But I would argue that the person that does not yet know Jesus is not free. They are a slave to the tyranny of themselves. A slave to the tyranny of self. Uh, That may sound harsh, but again, check my math on this. How do we know that people without Jesus are slaves to the tyranny of themselves? It's because... They slavishly follow the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. They love their sin more than they love God. How do I know that? Because I know how it feels. I know how it feels to love my sin more than I love God. Because I've been there. I know what it looks like firsthand. Maybe you recognize it yourself as well. You know you love your sin more than you love God because you look forward to your next session of sinning. In fact, you look so forward to your next session of sinning that even though the voice of God or the the conviction from the Holy Spirit kind of starts working on your heart, don't do that, please don't do that, please don't do that, don't fall into that trap, don't walk into that trap willingly, please, I want to save you from that. We We may love our sin so much more than we love God that we begin to intentionally shush God, drown out the, the voice of God, and then we push on into that sinning. That's how we know that we, um, we are slaves to our sin. We, we actually don't want to be free. We don't want to be free. We're afraid of what freedom means because we know really, we know in our hearts that we're going to yield to one thing or another. We're either going to yield to our sin or if we yield to God, He doesn't want us to yield to our sin anymore. You realize there are only two, those are the only two options. Anybody know of a third? <laughs> right? That's it. And so I think we know we don't want to be free from our sin. We don't want the freedom God gives. And so we choose to be slaves to our sin. Because if we're free from something, that means we have to give that thing up. Um, To be true, though, I know what it's like on on occasion, even as someone who doesn't know Jesus, to want to be free from my sin. Maybe you can remember some times like that in your life before you came to know Jesus. You're like, you know what? I, I'm making a mess of this thing. I'm hurting myself. I'm hurting lots of other people. I'd like to stop sinning. Does anybody, have, have, do you ever remember feeling like that? I remember feeling like that. There's a, man, it's heartbreaking really to, to, to think back on. There's a self-loathing that comes with that. Man, I, I hate I hate, hate what I'm doing to myself, right? I hate that. And I, 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 want, to be, I want to be free. Um, you know, there's this, this cycle. Um, we, can't, we can't break free because we're slaves. We make our own chains. We want to be free of them. And we try to free ourselves only to fall back into that sin pattern. And the shackles get tighter than they were before. It's a miserable thing. If you've ever been there, you know it's a miserable thing. If you know somebody in your life who's trapped in that cycle right now, your heart breaks for them. At least it should. Um, on this side of it, if you're a follower of Jesus, hopefully you can remember what it's like to be in chains of your own making, 
right? The, the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 is a great example of that. Remember when he was at home, he decided he wanted his freedom. I'm going to go out and do his own thing, man. Um, and so he, he chose then, he left home and he wanted to, to find himself, enjoy himself. And as we remember the account, that the rebellion only leads him into deeper slavery. He was a slave first of wrong desires. Then he became a slave of wrong deeds. And then he became an actual slave feeding pigs in a pigsty. He wanted to find himself, but he lost himself. What he thought was freedom turned out to be the worst kind of slavery. He only became truly free when he yielded to his father and found true freedom. Let's pick back up in verse 17. Paul says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin. Hold up, wait. Sound, sound like, hold up, wait. Anyway, those of you who don't get that reference. Uh, verse 17, thanks be to God that you who were once slaves. What tense is that word in? That's past tense. You guys hear that? That's hallelujah worthy. Hear me. If you have been made new in Jesus, you are no longer a slave to sin. That's a once and for all thing. You are no longer, Pastor James talked about this a couple of weeks ago, you are no longer a slave. Yes, again, you will sin, but you don't have to. And when we do, the Bible tells us that we have an advocate for ourselves. His name is Jesus Christ the righteous, right? Um, again, hallelujah. He says, you have become obedient from the heart. Check that out. Obedient from the heart. It's not just something that uh, I know I should do. No, now you want to. You're obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Um, this is why we've subtitled this series from doctrine to desire. We, we've known the teaching of Jesus, yes, but not only that, we are being transformed by the teaching of Jesus so that we no longer only want to please ourselves. We have a deeper desire in our heart now. God is transforming our soul so that underneath, deeper than that, looking up at our sin is a deeper thing that says, surrender to God. There's something in my heart that Jesus has put in there as his follower that says, you know what? fundamentally in my life, I don't want to please myself anymore. Yes, I will have times of that. Yes, I will, I will like uh, wobble in that, but I, I will not fall. Why? Because I'm not holding myself. Jesus is holding me. Jesus is holding me, right? Again, it doesn't mean I won't sin, but it means that I have new desires in my heart. Have you found that in yourself, follower of Jesus? That now you don't, you always loathe your sin. You agree with God about it. God, free me. I know that's where freedom is. Freedom is with God. And that is something that we see um, Paul say next. He says, verse 18, and having been, again, past tense, praise God, having been set free from sin, you've become slaves of righteousness. Again, that sounds weird, but I think you know what it means now. I'm speaking in human terms, Paul says, because of your natural limitations. For just as once you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, again, we produce and produce and produce sin, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Verse 19 is saying that the Christian, the follower of Jesus, the disciple of Jesus, ought to be as enthusiastic in yielding to the Lord as we was in yielding to our sin. 
Remember how I talked about, well, we looked forward to our next uh, session of sinning so much that we could drown out the voice of God in our lives. And Paul's saying we should be so stoked about yielding to Jesus that we should look forward to the next opportunity that when he puts something in our minds uh, through his word, through wise counsel that he wants us to yield to, we're stoked about it. Thank you, Jesus. Because that's where I know that's where freedom is. Lord, help me gain that freedom. Um, Again, we're not, we're not presenting our bodies to sacrifice to ourselves anymore. We're presenting them uh, to the Lord because we've submitted to Him as, as the ruler. Paul says that the more lawlessness we did, the more lawlessness we produced. And don't we know that to be true? When we um, choose sin, and neurologists are even telling this, this now, when we choose a certain behavior, over and over and over. It literally ingrains tracks in our brains. Right? Our souls alter our biology. It literally ingrains tracks in our brains so that it becomes easier to sin. Isn't that incredible? The reverse is also true. When we choose to yield to Jesus rather than ourselves, it literally will change your brain. It will change the way your body and soul interact to the glory of God. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you guys know that? Uh, this is how God has designed us. So sin is like a self-replicating virus. Remember I said it's like kudzu. It takes over. Well, God, when he makes you new, implants a new virus. It's self-replicating and it's, it's a virus, a good virus, a virus unto righteousness. Um, Paul says that we yield to the real master and he clears out the old one. He gives us a new operating system. Look at verse 20. Uh, For when you were slaves of sin... You were free in regard to righteousness. Again, remember, I don't have to keep all the rules. You had a misunderstanding. But he says, but what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? This Paul's right there. Even now, if you know you're forgiven and you look it back on your life, don't you see shame there? Man, I, ugh. I hope that skeleton never gets out of the closet, right? Um, for the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the last thing of, for in our reasons to yield to Jesus. It produces righteous fruit. Righteous fruit is what you need to put in there. Um, in the old self, we produced fruit that made us ashamed. We broke ourselves. We broke relationships with other people, especially God. But in the new life in Christ, we produce fruit that glorifies God. That's what happens when we go from doctrine to desire. Um, we don't leave the doctrine behind, but based on what we know to be true, we yield to the power of God for salvation. Well, My, my, my question for you this morning is, sim very simply, what is your next step in yielding to Jesus? No matter where you are, I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord. I don't know. Uh, maybe you've never made that once and for all surrender to Jesus. Maybe you've, you've been like, you know what? I'm the master of my sea. I'm at the sail and I guide my own direction. Maybe you're realizing that's, that leads to death, spiritually and physically. So maybe your next step of, of yielding is to find freedom in Jesus, freedom from your sin debt. Maybe you're struggling like within the moment surrender. 
you're, you just keep presenting yourself as an instrument to sin rather than an instrument to righteousness. Maybe that's your next step in yielding to Jesus. You know what, Jesus, I'm giving this thing up. Please, please, please take it from me. Maybe you're trying to discern whether God is calling you to make, to make a next step of yielding to him and like linking arms with this church body. You've been like kind of on the periphery, on the outskirts looking in. Look at those Reach Life people. They love Jesus. I think they love me. They're great. But maybe, maybe God's saying, well, what I, what I want you to do, this is going to require some accountability on your part. It's going to require some work on your part because you need to hold the Reach Life people accountable too. Right? So, but maybe God's saying, yield to, to my direction. Where, you know, life is a team sport. This is not golf. It's not you against the world. This is football. We need to block for each other. We need to run plays for each other. We need to help each other. We need to huddle with each other. We need to get on the field with each other. God's saying, maybe, maybe you should yield. And if, if this is not the church family, man, man, find one. Dig in. Maybe that's your place to yield. Um, maybe there's uh, a specific uh, portion of your life that God wants you to yield to him in some way. Again, I don't know what it is. I have, I have an idea that you might know. I have an idea that maybe before you walked in here today, the Spirit of God was already working in your life about something. Because that's what He does. I just encourage you to take this time of response to yield. Just yield. Is God trustworthy? And if you don't think that you like you get this, this maybe I, He wants me to yield this, but you're not sure, let's talk it out. Let's pray together. Right? In fact, during the time of the Lord's Supper, Pastor James will be right here and I'll be right there. If you want somebody to pray with, we'll pray with you right here, right now. Maybe we could, we could talk then and set a time to, hey, we'll get together this week. We could talk on the phone. We can get coffee. We can Zoom, whatever it takes. I'll help you yield. You help me yield. Right? Let's, let's do that together. Um, there's freedom to be had. Real freedom. Real freedom.